For the past several days, I've had this this phrase running around in my mind. This is Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. It is actually from a Bible verse, word spoken by Jesus Christ himself. And before you say, oh man, I got to turn this off. I got some nut job preacher on the radio. Hear me out. Hear me out carefully. For several nights, I would wake up with this phrase on my mind, as in the days of Noah. As in the days of Noah. Now, Jesus was talking to his disciples at one point, and they were asking about the end times. What are the signs of your coming? How will we know when you are returning again? And Jesus reminds them of this. He said, as in the days of Noah. Over the years, I can remember as a young child in a Sunday school class, like many of us, we we probably all saw, read about, heard the story of Noah and the ark. And the Bible teaches a lot about it. When you're a young kid, it's just basically the people were mean and bad and Noah tried to get them to repent. They didn't, and for the next 120 years, Noah and his family built this large ark. And then God rained judgment down from heaven in the form of 40 days and 40 nights of rain, flooding the world. And Noah and his sons and their wives and his wife were the ones that were spared to start things all over again. Now, I'm not going to get into all the detail of of how that happened. I've read a lot of scholarly pieces on, well, how could we ever had a a flood of that nature? What, What would the mechanism be? I'll just share one thought that I read a number of years ago. I thought it was rather fascinating. You can agree with it, disagree with it. It's immaterial. The Bible also at one point talks about the canopy around the earth. And and some scientists, not even Christian scientists, will proffer the idea that there used to be this vapor layer that surrounded the world. And as such, it filtered out a lot of the things that can be harmful to mankind, like UV rays, which explains why people lived longer Prior to the flood, people lived very lengthy lives. At least that's what the Bible tells us. And then after the flood, the the years of man are significantly reduced. Now, that's just a theory. I'm not trying to say that it is or it isn't, but it's just kind of fascinating. There's a lot in the Bible that doesn't give a whole lot of scientific detail. This is really, the Bible is God's revelation to people and the relationship he has with his children. So when Jesus talks about as in the days of Noah, what were the days of Noah like? Well, they had pretty well walked away from any worship of God. They became worshipers of themselves. They were very narcissistic. They seeked pleasure in life. They married, they were committing adultery, and these things were all normalized in their world. In other words, they were a wicked people whose word was not their bond. 
And and you look at today, you can really look over the last 2,000 years. We've always seen that element in our world, those that, that mock God, those that hate God, those that are desperate rulers. Look back in the 20th century. There were plenty of them during that time. There have been plenty of desperate and, and, and evil rulers over the past 2,000 years. There's no doubt about that. But there's something that I feel, as I've observed just in my lifetime, that is significantly different today than 25 or even 30 years ago. 25, 30 years ago, we understood there was a great amount of sin in this world. We understood there were evil people in this world. There were, there's always been the murderers, the robbers, the rapists. All those have been with us over the many centuries. But never before, never before have we tried to explain it away or even normalize it. And there lies the biggest difference. Back in the 1950s and into the 1960s, television networks like CBS, NBC, and ABC, they had a staff of what were called censors. These people would go through the scripts and the TV programs carefully to make sure there was nothing, nothing offensive, nothing evil, nothing bad, nothing that was not considered wholesome in the TV programs. If you ever watched the TV program, I Love Lucy, any, any scene in a bedroom, there were two twin beds with a nightstand in between. The censors back in those days felt strongly that showing two people in bed together, a man and a woman, may not be a wholesome thing for youngsters to see. And so they used the twin beds. Over the years, starting in the 1970s, the limits began to be pushed. CBS, which was known as the Tiffany Network, the Stellar Network, the Quality Network, started pushing the envelope with a breakthrough program called All in the Family. And it was funny, and it did push the envelope, but once they did that, then every other program kept pushing the envelope as well, where 50 years later, instead of having network censors trying to keep the programming clean and somewhat wholesome, now you have network lawyers trying to figure how far they can push things sexually and otherwise and get away with it. In other words, the entire, the entire operation is flipped upside down. Now it's a matter of what can we get away with? What can we do without getting in trouble with the FCC or any other major issue? TV programs now also push many agendas, many of the political agendas primarily. And so there's been a change in, in our media. And now with, with the internet, we have untold thousands of channels and things we can literally look at. It's no surprise to me today here in the year 2021 that more than one-third, now, now catch this number, the Internet is a big place. It handles all of our social media. For many, it handles your banking and transactions, your information sources. It's become your yellow pages, so to speak. 
But today, on any given day, what about the traffic that is on the internet? How much of it is pornography? It is estimated by people that keep track of these things that up to, and perhaps even slightly more than one-third of all internet traffic today is some form of pornography. Let me repeat that. It is estimated that one-third or more of the traffic on the internet each and every day is some form of pornography. Some of it's very, very evil, uh, child molestation and other things of that nature. And we have people in, in colleges and universities that are trying to normalize this, that it's all right to think and act that way. There are even people in academia that think that, well, there really is nothing wrong with the North American uh, man-boy relationship group, NAMBLA, that seeks to normalize the idea of adult men having sex with young boys. They want to normalize that. Forty years ago, if somebody talked about two men getting married or two women getting married in a church, they would have looked at you rather funny. Who would ever think of that? That would never happen. But six years ago, it did with a Supreme Court ruling at the time to allow men to marry men and women to marry women. In the Old Testament, besides the the narrative of Noah and the ark, there's also the narrative of Sodom and Gomorrah. And there were a lot of things. Not, it's not just the sexuality issues of Sodom and Gomorrah. There was a lot more to Sodom and Gomorrah than just their sexuality, but it was a major component of who they were. They were evil individuals. They mocked God. And they flaunted their sexuality and the things that they did in front of everybody, including God. They dismissed him. They turned their back on him. Today, here on the 24th of June, we have one more week left of what we call in the United States and around the world Pride Month. Pride Month is a celebration of homosexuality, and now it's been co-opted by transgenderism, uh, transvestites, you name it, all of it, non-binary, all of it now is wrapped up in the Pride Movement. And we see major corporations, major corporations are caving in to put up their rainbow emblems to celebrate along with the Pride Month that we are with you, we believe in you, and we believe in everything you do. Now buy our product. Since when do we take a month to celebrate something that the Bible condemns? Since when do we as a nation celebrate something and our politicians jump in there and become a huge part of it, endorsing it, promoting it, We are in the days of Noah. We are in the days 
of Noah. So let's get an idea of what those days were like when Jesus spoke to his disciples. The biblical account of Noah is found in Genesis chapter 6. Now, scholars figure, and I've seen the number vary between 1,600 to maybe 2,000 years, had passed since the creation. And as the earth's population kept growing and exploding in number, it also was growing and exploding in evil. Long forgotten was the righteousness of the sacrifice of, of Abel. As the, law, as the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thought of the heart was only evil continually. You see that in Genesis chapter uh, 6. And in verse 11 and 12 we read, Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence, and God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way in the earth. However, this is verse 8, Noah found grace or favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now, when Jesus is describing these events to his disciples, he's talking about his second coming. He said, just as it was in the days of Noah, so it shall be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking, marrying, being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Now we read in, in Luke chapter 17 that Jesus was pointing out that although the people of Noah's day were totally depraved, they were not the least con bit concerned about it. They didn't care. They, they didn't even have any conscience or any feeling of, I'm doing something wrong. Look at the world today. Look how it's changed in 30, 40, and 50 years, in my lifetime. Noah was described in the Bible as a preacher of righteousness. We find that in 2 Peter chapter 2. And it it means that he had spent a lot of time warning his friends and neighbors that the holy God was about to bring judgment upon them, and, and nobody cared. They laughed at him, just like they'll laugh at Christians on Facebook. Oh, you believe in the big sky fairy. The depravity and the ungodly lifestyles of the entire world at that time were enough to cause the Lord to, as the Bible says, regret that he had made man. Now, many scholars believe that part of is needed to destroy every human being except Noah and his family was the sin mentioned in Genesis 6, in 1 through 4, when Nephilim was on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them, as evil reproduced and overtook the world, the most merciful act of God that he could perform was to simply start over. Now, it's interesting that, that God allowed Noah such an incredible length of time to complete the building of the ark. And all during the time that Noah is building this ark, he is calling on his, his neighbors, the people around him, to repent of their ways to be saved, and they didn't care. What it boiled down to is they didn't believe Noah and they were content with their wickedness and their idolatry and all the things they were doing. 
Their hearts had been hardened, and their ears were now dulled where they wouldn't even listen anymore. Nobody repented, and nobody cared to seek God. I don't know about you, but that describes where we have come to today. I can't think of any other time in my life. I thought it was bad in the 80s or the 90s, but we have been multiplying this sin of arrogance against God in an unstoppable way for decades. A few weeks ago, I shared some statistics and talking about the United States, and this it's even worse in the United Kingdom and Canada these days, but in the United States, only 43% of the population of the United States, 43%, now identify with any kind of church, synagogue, or even a mosque. In other words, any kind of regular church activity. And when you break down the 43% that have some kind of allegiance to some kind of faith, many of them are in apostate faiths as well. They're in churches that, well, they'll do weddings for two men and two women. They become a part of the evil culture. The church, much of the church today is, is, a, is the days of Noah all over again. This is not the church of the early apostles. Jesus said that the world will be much the same before he returns to set up his earthly kingdom. And he warns us to be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Let me stop right there. There are a lot of people that get on the radio and the television trying to tell you when Jesus is coming again. And we've seen how many of these people have made prophecies, so to speak, or predictions that Jesus is coming in May of 2012, maybe it was 1996, others in the 1800s. We've had people that have been date setters for as long as I can remember and throughout history. And the one thing they have in common is they're always wrong, and they always will be wrong. 2 Timothy chapter 3, we get a better picture of the state of the world before Jesus comes and most likely also describes the world in the days of Noah. The verse says, but mark this, there'll be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Now, while those attributes have always been part of the Adamic sin that we are born with, it has never reigned and ruled like it does today in the majority of people. The majority of people simply don't care. Our schools are teaching teaching children how to have all kinds of sex. In some schools, like in New York City, I don't even want to tell you the kind of things they teach. They're, they're rather uh, embarrassing to talk about on a radio program, but they're teaching this to your children because our government now, and I think this is the tipping point for the United States and, and most other nations as well, our government has 
overall, not everybody, but overall, no longer has any respect for God. It was several months ago, there was a hearing in Washington, D.C. I'm trying to remember who the individual was. And somebody made a reference to God and what God's word had to say about a particular topic. And it was Jerry Nadler that was sitting there chairing this particular meeting. And, you know, he said, your God and your scripture has no bearing on these proceedings. Just blurt, just blurt it out. God has nothing to say to this chamber. He doesn't, in other words, he doesn't exist in this chamber. He doesn't exist in my heart or my mind. He may exist in yours, but he's of no relevance in this country any longer. I think Barack Obama was actually right when he made a statement a number of years ago. We are no longer a Christian nation. A lot of people got upset about it. When I thought about it, hated to admit it, but he was right. We as a nation, the United States of America, are no longer a Christian nation. We fail miserably at, at that these days. And now we vote in people to give us more free things and stuff, to take away any, any modicum of decency away from us so we don't have to worry about repentance or any of it anymore. We truly are living. We truly are living in these days of Noah. There's something I'm realizing more and more every day in relationship to this particular radio program. And today, I don't know if I'm making any sense to you. I, I hope you've, you've stuck with me. I'm a bit on the tired side. We've been traveling, doing a lot of different kind of work and trying to put this radio program together. But I'm just speaking to you from the heart right now, the best that I can, and sharing some thoughts about these days of Noah. The Bible talks about what is called the watchman on the wall. And I'm not alone in this calling. There are many, there are literally thousands upon thousands of people called around the world to be a watchman. And, and the job of a watchman was to be on the lookout, especially at night, for enemies that would come to destroy their cities and to give a warning and if a watchman failed in giving that warning, woe unto the watchman. Part of what I do in this radio program, yeah, I bring you some news, and I have some news stories that'll be different than this in the second half coming up in just a little bit that I think you need to hear to get an idea of some of the changes, the seed changes going on in our world today that you need to be made aware Part of my job is to say, church, fellow Christians, the enemy is coming or this is happening. My job is to make you aware of the surroundings, not to put fear into you. And this is one of the things I, I oftentimes get a little upset with people that I know and people that I've respected over the years. They, they try to use fear as a motivator to maintain a ministry, and I'm not going to do that. I don't need to do that. I just need to make you aware and then show you how God can provide for you and take you through the things coming ahead. Once again, the words 
fear not appear in the Bible a lot more than a whole lot of other things we think about from Scripture. And yet some people I know that are church people, they're some of the most afraid about the things that are to come. So looking once again, I want to just kind of tie this together. When Jesus talks about his coming and the end of the world, among other things, he talks about those days of Noah. We know the wickedness, we understand that, and we know that Noah was a righteous individual who found grace in the eyes of the Lord. In the days of Noah, sin was great as it is today. In the days of Noah, the wickedness of man was so great that it repented the Lord that he had made man on earth. That's what the Bible says. No one was righteousness and no one walked with God except for Noah. And even then, we'll find out later if you get into the story that even Noah wasn't a perfect person. This reminds me of something else before we get to our break. There, there's a lot of things happening in this world today in the political front and everything else that, that I find deeply concerning, but I also understand that it's part of the things that need to happen before Jesus returns again. I'm going to try not to be too political in this and don't read politics into what I'm about to say. God has a chosen people. Go back to the promises made to Abraham. God has a chosen people. And those chosen people have erred many a time over the centuries. And they've had to be rebuked, punished, even put in captivity. But God's promises are eternal. A lot of people will try to convince you that, well, the promise God made to his people Israel no longer counts. He gave up on them. It's the church age now. He's divorced them. Nowhere in Scripture does it say that. Yet there are those that are running around talking about that Israel, oh, it's just a piece of dirt in the Middle East. Who cares? And besides, the Jewish nation is full of all kind of sinful beings, and, and they're, they're big on Pride Month, too, and they, they go down the whole list. Well, yeah, the children of Israel have done that in, all over the world. Look at how many people that are of Jewish descent or identify as Jewish in the United States who are atheists, who hate God, who mock God, who live sinful lives. It's all about money. It's all about power. It's all about sex. They're blinded. And God will deal with them in his own time, in his own way. But for us to say that God has abandoned them and has, you know, moved the promise somewhere else is ridiculous. There's nowhere in the scripture that says that. So be very cautious with those that say, who could care? We could care less about Israel. There's a promise of God. And, and let me tell you, if you've ever studied World War II, and I, I've been fascinated by that war for, I wasn't even born yet, but. It has always been a fascination to me from childhood. And as I've gotten older to understand with the wisdom of getting some age behind me, the dynamics of what happened. I mean, how could Germany in particular rise up to be the powerhouse they were 
in a period of only about 10 years. What kind of circumstances were they in that could make something like that even potentially possible at all? And how could the people go along with it? Many did. Of course, in many cases, they were also very deceived. Hitler to the German people made promises of a better life and prosperity. Kind of like, you know, when the Great Depression hit, the idea of a chicken in every pot and a car in every garage kind of thinking, you know, happy days will be here again. Leaders can prey upon your need and your greed to give them the power that they need to succeed. And they always find the boogeyman, the one to blame everything upon. In Hitler's case, he chose the Jews. The Jews were all the trouble of Europe and of Germany. We have to minimize their influence. They, they control the money. They control this. They have too much power. We must stop them. And over time, a successful propaganda campaign in movies, in books, in writings, in radio, became very successful. And people began to think incorrectly. But they began to think that maybe if we, you know, take everything away and, and get rid of the Jews, our life could be better. It was also Hitler's downfall. And let me explain why. When you look at where the United States and everybody else in the world was at, at that time, the United States economy was in tatters with the Great Depression in the 1920s, late 1920s, and all the way through the 1930s. President Roosevelt had his New Deal, which wasn't really doing all that well. A lot of government spending in dead-end job, so to speak, just to keep the economy moving. Hitler was able to amass an army while we were barely keeping our stuff from the late 1800s and up until World War I still running. We didn't have many battleships. We didn't have many aircraft carriers at that point, just a handful. We were actually, after World War I and the Great Depression, a very weakened nation militarily. Germany took their resources, their science, their technology, and their ambition and started building incredible instruments of war. And nobody stopped them because all their economies were too bad to get involved with it. They tried to ignore and appease. Hitler really did have the ability. Look, he took over all of Europe in no time. He, France fell, Belgium fell, Poland fell, you name it. Italy was also fascist and on the side of Hitler. People that understand warfare better than I do have made some very bold statements about Germany and its power, and its ability, and its ambition. They had the wherewithal to win the war. 
even if the Japanese had not attacked us at Pearl Harbor, they had the wherewithal to win the war. But Hitler squandered it. Why? Because of his obsession with killing Jews. When trains were needed to move troops, he's moving Jewish people to concentration camps. The effort to cleanse Europe of the Jewish people became Hitler's obsession and was ultimately what did him in militarily. He really could have run Europe. He might have had the ability of defeating the Soviet Union at that time. But too much effort was put into chasing after the Jewish people instead of just prosecuting the war that he started. That's just a little side of history that, as I've read that, it is rather fascinating. The weapons he was building. He was ahead of the United States on the atomic bomb. We found out, and of course, we went into the Manhattan Project, and we also decimated some of the places where he was getting his resources to build it. Hitler could have beat the United States to the atomic bomb. He already had the V-2 rocket. We had nothing like it. He had the first jet aircraft fighter plane. But the obsession with killing Jews was what did him in in World War II. We are in the days of Noah, in my opinion, or days very much like it. Can it get worse? Probably could. Do I think that we are coming into a time of tribulation? Absolutely. Is it the great tribulation? I can't tell you. I'm not sure. But I know that as a watchman on the wall, I can see the enemy marching toward the city and bringing with them their prideful sins, their rainbow flags, their wokeness, their cancel culture. They're in a fight for the minds of our children like no despot has ever done in the history of mankind. When we come back, I'm going to share some other news stories that will kind of tie some of this together and where we are today. And why I firmly believe that we are living in a very perilous time. This is Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. Wolves and sheep. Shalom Aleichem. This is the nice Jewish boy, Jonathan Kahn, your Jewish connection, bringing you the riches of your Jewish roots in Jesus. Now get your pen out as fast as you can so you don't miss out on receiving a special free gift you're going to get and love in a moment. Now, Matthew 7, Messiah speaks of wolves. Now, what exactly are wolves? Wolves are dog-like carnivores. The large northern male may grow up to six feet long and weigh around 120 pounds. Now, wolves live in packs. They chase and they stalk and they go for blood. When they see blood, they go for the kill. And then there are sheep. Sheep are very different animals. Sheep are basically timid animals who spend their days grazing in herds and are almost totally without any protection from predators. Now, if you belong to the Lord, you're one of the sheep you're not a wolf. At the same time, the Lord describes the enemy of our souls as a wolf. The problem is wolves are a lot stronger than sheep and more cunning and more ferocious and more dangerous and sheep have almost no protection. So what's a sheep to do? Get into weight training, martial arts, go out, get a gun license and buy some firearms? No. 
Though sheep are defenseless on their own, they're usually not on their own, but with a shepherd. So why sheep learn not to trust in their own strength or abilities or their own discernment or perception. Instead, they learn to trust the shepherd, even above their own eyes. They learn to trust his eyes, his strength, his, his discernment, and so it is with you. You're no match for the enemy and the things which war against your soul, all those sins, all those temptations, but you're not on your own. You have a shepherd, the shepherd of your soul, and the things which war against your soul are no match for the shepherd. So trust not in your strength, my friend, or in your judgment, but learn to trust in his and stay close by his side and you'll be all right. And his rod and his staff will comfort you and goodness and loving kindness will follow you all the days of your life. Want more? Ask for wolves in sheep's clothing. Now the free gift for you, the most incredible evidence of Messiah, the mystery of the temple doors plus sapphires, guaranteed to give you the power of living victorious life in God, all free. How do you get all these free gifts? Easy. Just remember Jesus' real Hebrew name, Yeshua, and dial it. That's it. Just dial 1-800-YESHUA-1. That's it. But call now. You'll be blessed. 1-800-YESHUA-1. Now, my friend, you're on this earth for a great purpose, to be a blessing. So I invite you to join me in bringing the greatest blessing to the unreached peoples of this world, salvation to five continents with over a billion people. Just call now, 1-800-YESHUA-1. That's Y-E-S-H-U-A-1. Or write me direct, the nice Jewish boy, at box 1111, Lodi, L-O-D-I, New Jersey, and the zip is 07644. That's the nice Jewish boy, box 1111, in Lodi, L-O-D-I, New Jersey, 07644. Well, till next time, this is Jonathan Kahn saying, Shalom Aleichem, peace be to you, my friend and Messiah, Adon Olam, the Lord of all. This is Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. And welcome back to part two of the Thursday edition of Truth to Ponder. And I'm your host, Bob Bierman. I know it went a bit long in that. And I also realized that I need to probably, for the sake of the radio audience, pause occasionally to remind you of what you're listening to. And I, I apologize. I get so used to generally being in a public speaking situation where I don't have to stop and tell you that I'm preaching this message on uh, or with the podcast in particular, people know what they're listening to for the duration. And I have to remember when I'm on shortwave radio on WRMI or KVOH, you may not know what the program is you're listening to, especially if you're listening to us for the first time. This is the program, Truth to Ponder. Call this a watchman on the wall kind of a program. Part of what I try to do is is talk about the world around us and put it into a Christian worldview perspective. I'm not here to try to present to you extreme teachings on prophecy. I'm trying to give you practical things you can use. There are others that do a better job of certain aspects than I do. If you look at St. Paul's analogy of the body, there are many parts of the body, but all are important and all have a function. And mine is just to bring you the news, put it in perspective, and keep you focused in the right direction. We also are operating an online radio station these days. I'd like you to, to look up if you have a chance. There's some Christian music of all kinds. 
and it can be found from our website, truth2ponder.com, truth2ponder.com. And on the front page, you're going to see a couple of things. Number one, you can immediately go to a player. You'll see it there on the homepage. And if you look at the little description, there's a way to get to a special site about the online station to give you more information. One of the projects I've had, and I just have not had the time to get to, and I really need some help, I really need to redo the website. I put that together myself, and it has kind of gotten out of hand, so I'm going to be needing some help. If you know of anybody that can be of any assistance, it would be much appreciated. Uh, Believe me on that. And I'd like to get the webpage a little bit more focused. There are a couple of things I'm tossing around as well. I've wondered, and there's a, a small expense. It's not it's not all that bad, but it is an expense. Would it help to have a transcript of this program you can read? I know sometimes, and, and I thought about this the other day, a lot of great listeners will forward me radio programs and podcasts and videos, some of which are like an hour long, uh, for me to, to view. And unfortunately, especially these days, I just don't have the time to sit down and look at two or three or four of these videos a day. If I could ever get a transcript or something to read, then I can go through it, highlight it, and use it. So I'm wondering if I should do the same with this program. There's some automatic transcription services that'll print into text everything that is said on the program. And so that's just a thought that I'm, I'm tossing around right now. Next week, we end the month of June. And I want to thank all of you that have supported this ministry to date. We wind up, hard to believe, we finish our 10th month of a daily radio program. I haven't missed one that I know of yet, so that I can remember in these past uh, 10 months. It's been a, it's been a journey. And... Today is one of those kind of days where it's a little harder for some reason to do the program. We're on the road. I'm using a very primitive setup for recording, and I hope the quality is is okay. And sometimes when you don't have all your material and your other screens to work with to to read from, it's not it's not quite as easy to transition and and go from one topic to the other. But I want to thank all of you that pray for us and also that have financially supported us. You can help us by sending a check to Ancient Word Radio, and that is 21 Berkshire, B-E-R-K-S-H-I-R-E, 21 Berkshire Lane, number 263. That's our secure box, number 263. And we are in Sky Valley, two words, Sky Valley, Georgia, and the zip code is 30537. And I'll give that address again at the end of the program today. We're beginning to notice that there's an audience growing for the online station. It's also available on free-to-air satellite, Galaxy 19. If you have a system that gets any of the Glory Star channels, you should be able to pick it up. If you're getting any of the channels of Galaxy 19, free-to-air satellite, uh, look for the radio button on your remote control, and we can be found there. Now, there's some discrepancy about the channel number, and I still haven't gotten an answer back. Um, It should be channel 1000 on some systems, but I'm seeing that it's also 
uh, channel 2040 and channel 2048 on others. So just look for Truth to Ponder Radio. Just kind of scroll down the menu. It's not that long. And you can find Truth to Ponder Radio 24-7 Christian Music. And we feature this program. My prayer, my real prayer is to open this new channel online and on satellite up to other other Christian programmers looking for for access for their programs. And they can then help in defraying the cost of the satellite, which is not all that much, but it needs to be self-sustaining. And so I'm I'm praying about ministries that should be on that satellite and also online uh, for you to hear. And so if you have any suggestions or thoughts, let me know. Um, the cost to be on it is extremely little because we're just trying to cover the expense. We're not trying to make even a penny of profit just to cover the cost. That's all we're trying to do. So if you have any ideas in that line, let me know. Getting back to some of the things that are on my mind today, these days of Noah, it's just been echoing in my mind, and I'm sure that as I pray it through, God's going to give me some more thoughts to share with you. But when you look at the news, the news can tell you a lot. And this came out, oh, last week, actually, on the 15th of June. And it's the Biden administration's strategy for for countering what they call domestic terrorism in the United States. Now, I worked in emergency management for a number of years. I had been in broadcast in ministry, but after the passing of my first wife, I, I left a lot of that for a season. And I took a job as a public information officer, and that kind of grew into learning how to plan for natural and man-made disasters, including terrorism. And so for a number of years, I was actively involved in working with the Department of Homeland Security and, and all these things for training exercises in protecting our communities and our resources. But there's been a change. It started in the Obama administration, got restored a little bit during the Trump years. Now we're going back again to what happened during the Obama years in emergency management. And when it comes to domestic terrorism, everything has been changed. Everything about domestic terrorism is totally different than what we were experiencing, discussing, planning for, training for back in, let's say, 2008, 9, 10, 11, and 12. It's a 32-page document that came out, and there's some big changes because, see, in this document, when we talk about domestic terrorism or man-made disasters on a domestic level, we're not even mentioning street gangs anymore drug cartels, and, and especially we're not mentioning at all the idea of Islamic extremists. That's no longer an issue. It's totally been changed by this administration in a period of five months. In just five months, the idea of what a domestic terrorist is has been, has been changed. A lot of it has to do with milking every benefit out of what happened on January the 6th and trying to call that an insurrection. They haven't even finished arresting anybody because some of the people that would be arrested are actually informants and FBI agents. So that ought to tell you something. 
$100 million is going to be spent, additional money, to the Department of Justice and uh, the Department of Homeland Security. The plan includes provisions for purging, purging the Internet of what they call extremist content and for training men and women leaving the military to prevent them from becoming so-called radicalized domestic terrorists. In other words, if you celebrate the 4th of July, and we're not talking about the hot dog in the backyard with your neighbor uh, wearing a face mask and social distancing, if you're one of those God and country kind of people, you might be a domestic terrorist. See, the new national strategy is designed to coordinate and provide a, a path for the federal government's effort to counter the heightened domestic terrorism threat using all available tools. That's what Merrick Garland, who has no business being heading the Department of Injustice in the United States, that's what he said in his speech. As he introduced what he called his counterterrorism plan, and he called it the culmination of an effort undertaken at the president's direction. I don't think it's at the president's direction. It's, it's, it's all the people that use him as a puppet. From the Justice Department to the Department of Homeland Security, uh, State and Health and Human Services, all the effort, it's a big deal. And like I say, this time, they're using the January 6th assault, as they call it, the, you know, the armed riot with no arms, where they say all these people got killed and the only person killed was, a pro, was one of the protesters who was unarmed, I might add. The resolve and dedication which the Justice Department has approached this reflects the seriousness, as they say, of of how we take this assault on our mainstay of our democratic system. In the 160-some-odd days since January 6th, they've arrested over 480 individuals and brought hundreds of charges against those that attacked what they say. This is what, Garrett, uh, this is what Garland says. Those that attacked law enforcement, obstructed justice, yada, yada, deadly and dangerous weapons, and which never were. What it really boils down to is white supremacy now is the target. White supremacy. That's why we have CRT, critical race theory. We are changing everything rapidly to divide people even more where people that love their God and their country and their constitution are now going to be reclassified as the domestic threat that must be eliminated, must be suppressed, and must be canceled. Now, I'm going to give this one Democrat congresswoman and former Democrat presidential candidate some, some recognition here. Tulsi Gabbard, even she recognizes the government's effort to spy on the United States citizens and purge the Internet of so-called content that the government finds extreme. That means if I don't agree with Joe Biden, I guess I'm an extremist. I'm a white supremacist and a whole bunch of other nasty, mean, and ugly stuff. And, and she warned something that I've talked about a lot over the past year 
It's the John Brennans of this world. It's the Adam Schiff's of this world. The Jerry Nadler's of this world. They're the real threat. And they are in lockstep with big tech that are trying to take away our constitutionally protected rights. If you think about it, what the Biden administration under Merrick Garland is trying to do is to say that those that love the United States, those that care about this country, those that believe firmly in the Bill of Rights contained in the Constitution of the United States, we are now becoming the domestic terrorist. We are now the new dangerous mob. If you go back to the Obama years, that whole, that whole concept was beginning to take shape. I also said on Monday's program, by the way, I want to thank a few of you that have sent me some very kind emails about Monday's program about the election in Georgia. And it's not just Georgia. It's a problem across the United States. I am convinced, I've prayed about this, I have thought about this, I've tried to rationalize this, I I try to be very pragmatic about anything that I do and think and say. 2016, we, in this country, elected an interrupter to the status quo. The media hated him, people hated him. Democrats really hated him. They tried to impeach him. They want to, you have an attorney general in New York that reminds me of Stalin talking to his chief prosecutor. Show me the man and I'll show you the crime. I'll make one up if I have to. It's like the the courts in Hitler's day. They were kangaroo courts designed to suppress anybody that opposed the leadership of Adolf Hitler in the Soviet Union against Stalin, Lenin, all of them. A brutal regime like China. The thought police are out there. And we're we're beginning to amass the thought police in the United States. And we're doing it through social media. We're doing it through our education system. And now we have the government literally going into partnership with companies like Facebook, Google, and Twitter to mark and identify those of us that they deem a threat just because we believe in our God and our country and our constitutional rights come from God, not from Joe Biden, not from Jerry Nadler, not from Adam Schiff, not from Nancy Pelosi, not from Chuck Schumer. Our rights are not given to us by those elites that are sitting in Washington. Our rights come from God, period. This is the fight we have today. It is a fight for the heart and soul of our nation and for the lives of our children. How many of you, each and every day, how many of you willingly send your children into the public indoctrination centers called the public schools? Now, I know some are better than others. I was recently in another state for a high school graduation, and I felt a little bit of a relief when I saw 
where many of the faculty of that school had been educated, and I was surprised to see how many went to overtly Christian colleges and schools. But that's not the case in most places, especially in your bigger cities. There's going to be a division between the bigger cities and the more rural areas as the days and weeks go ahead. The virus was used to scare us, to make us compliant. The government learned how far they can get away with things before we begin to fight back. And so look for them to reinvent the virus by the fall with all these new variants. Everybody must get the jab, injection, whatever. I'll have a story about that probably next week. I don't want this to become a program thoroughly dedicated to COVID-19 and the vaccine. But from time to time, if I see something you may have not seen, I want to share it with you. Most of you are doing a lot of research on your own and are pretty up, much up to speed. And I keep reading and I am just convinced that this vaccine is not the way to go for me and my family. I just don't feel it. I think this pandemic was well planned. Isn't it amazing, Event 203, in October of 2019, where Bill Gates and company were all meeting together to, to spend a, a lot of time uh, doing a tabletop exercise of what do we do in the event of a worldwide viral pandemic? And they spent a year building all these dashboards and death tickers and and ways to, uh, to accumulate data. And it just so happened it was already in place by the time the pandemic hit at the end of 2019 when we first started hearing about COVID-19 and the virus. Isn't that just amazing? And this summer, coming up very soon, is going to be another tabletop exercise on cyber warfare and cyber attacks. This is going to be a fascinating fall between the Delta variant of the virus, so they say, coupled with maybe cyber warfare. And of course, you got to watch out for those white supremacist, you know, people that are just evil that want to burn the country down. They never talk about those that were actually burning, looting, stealing, and murdering people in 2020. It's just the domestic white supremacists today are the true evil. Do you believe in what we're doing here at Truth to Ponder? Why not uh, drop me an email, bob at truth2ponder.com, bob at truth2ponder.com. Our website, we'll give you that in a moment. Our mailing address is Truth to Ponder, and that is 21 Berkshire Lane, B-E-R-K-S-H-I-R-E, 21 Berkshire Lane, number 263 in Sky Valley, Georgia. Zip code is 305 This has been Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. To find out more, visit our website, Truth, the number two, and the word ponder.com. That's Truth, the number two, ponder.com. Truth to Ponder, shining the light of truth in a darkening world.